Hey, good morning. For those of you who are unfamiliar with me, my name is Daniel. It's a joy to serve as one of the pastors here. On behalf of the pastoral team, if you're visiting us, I'd like just to say welcome. This is a great place for you to come and learn about Jesus and get to know His people. Uh, I've got a handful of announcements for us this morning, so if you didn't get a bulletin, these lovely ladies can put one in your hand if you want to put your hand up. All right, but we've got a couple of housekeeping duties. We've had some new people join the crossing over the last week, and I think the newest member is here in the house. So in the back there, we got Hudson, Kessner, Jed and Grace had their baby boy. Give him a little golf clap. Yahoo. Woo! Yep. Rejoice with you guys. Got your baby boy. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Pray for them. They're in the newborn stage. We are too. <laughs> you can pray for us too. Um, also, we've got a graduation weekend. Uh, if you graduated this weekend, can you stand up and stay standing? If you graduated this weekend, stand up and stay standing. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Yahoo! Well, as you guys have probably listened to many commencement speeches this weekend, CSU has... Uh, not extended the invitation to me yet. I'm still waiting on that invitation, but on behalf of uh, our church, we're proud of you guys. We've got a gift for you in the back. We've got this uh, discipling book. Uh, it's a great little resource, so this is our gift to you. Please grab one of those on your way out. And uh, hey, go live for the fame of God's name. So praise God. All right, a uh, couple other announcements. Uh, next week, we're kicking off a new sermon series. So we're going to be going through the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through 7. Uh, we're calling it Summer on the Mount. And guys, we're really excited for this. Uh, we're kicking Santini out. He's going on a sabbatical. Uh, for those of you who didn't know that. But uh, yeah, it's going to be a great opportunity looking into what does it mean to live in the kingdom of God. The Sermon on the Mount is probably the most uh, widely known, but also most widely misunderstood of all of Jesus's teachings. So we're going to spend about 12 or 13 weeks walking through that here this summer. So you guys can pray for us. We've got a number of different people who are going to be teaching and we're really excited for that. So, um, this next announcement is specifically for our covenant partners. Um, as many of you know, we received this church building a number of years ago, back in 2011. There was a Baptist church that folded into the crossing, and we took over this great facility. Uh, we've slowly been upkeeping and doing improvements, but this summer our desire is to knock out a number of different items around and in the building. So we are looking to uh, replace the floor out there in the foyer. Uh, all of my kids have busted their butt on that white tile, so the goal is to not have them do that anymore. Uh, we're also going to uh, upgrade all the bathrooms, or specifically these two bathrooms. Ladies, if you've ever walked in this bathroom and you've felt, man, this is like a dungeon, uh, that's not good. We don't want that uh, in, in our bathroom. So we're going to upgrade that. Uh, we're going to upgrade the lighting in the parking lot. Um, we just met with a landscape designer. Holy cow, very expensive. Um, so uh, in order to cover some of these expenses, we've elected to open up a summer expense fund. And we're looking to raise about $20,000 here over the next six weeks. So 
If you're a covenant partner, we'd ask that you'd prayerfully consider to give above your normal giving uh, to help cover some of these expenses. Uh, another summer expense that we weren't anticipating when we made our budget this year was sending Santini on a sabbatical. So we've given him a helpful gift to uh, be able to go do things on his sabbatical that he wouldn't normally be able to do, especially with his large family that likes to eat a lot of food. Uh, so this will also cover that. So again, this fund is now open. You can go online, log into your account, and you'll be able to see summer expense fund. And we just ask that you'll prayerfully consider contributing to that above your normal giving. Okay, so we're going to continue our series in Genesis. Uh, we're going to be in Genesis 34, 35, and 36 today. And before Aaron comes up, I'm going to read from Genesis 35. So if you have a uh, Bible, uh, we're in Genesis 35, verses 1 through 15. If there's, a, uh, there's these black Bibles in the pews in front of you. If you don't have a Bible, you can take one of these home. It's our gift to you. We're going to be on page 29 in these black Bibles. So as we do, as I read the Word of God, would you all please stand as we show reverence to God's Word. This is Genesis 35, starting in verse 1. God said to Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel and dwell there. Make an altar there to the God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. So Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, put away the foreign gods that are among you and purify yourselves and change your garments. Then let us arise and go up to Bethel so that I may make there an altar to the God who answers me in the day of my distress and has been with me wherever I have gone. So they gave to Jacob all the foreign gods that they had and the rings that were in their ears. Jacob hid them under the terebinth tree that was near Shechem. And as they journeyed, a terror from God fell upon the cities that were around them, so that they did not pursue the sons of Jacob. And Jacob came to Luz, that is Bethel, which is in the land of Canaan, he and all the people who were with him. And there he built an altar and called the place El Bethel, because there God had revealed himself to him when he fled from his brother. And Deborah, Rebekah's nurse, died, and she was buried under an oak below Bethel. So he called its name Alon Bakuth. God appeared to Jacob again when he came from Padan Aram and blessed him. And God said to him, your name is Jacob. No longer shall your name be called Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. So he called his name Israel. And God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you, and kings shall come from your own body. The land that I gave to Abraham and Isaac, I will give to you. And I will give the land to your offspring after you. Then God went up from him in the place where he had spoken with him. And Jacob set a pillar in the place where he had spoken with him, a pillar of stone. He poured out a drink offering on it and poured oil on it. So Jacob called the name of the place where God had spoken with him, Bethel. This is the word of the Lord. Guys, pray with me. Father, we live in a Genesis 3 world, a, a fallen world. And Lord, as we know, there is times where 
we walk in the flesh and, and disobedience, and there's times where we walk by faith. And in particular in Genesis 34 and 35, we see that. We see that with the covenant family, uh, Jacob as its leader. And Lord, we know that you don't change. You're the same yesterday, today, forever. And it's your grace that covers Jacob and his family thousands of years ago. And it's your grace that covers us this morning. And to that, we're eternally grateful. And I just want to pray for the Wiggins as well. Again, another, another incredible family that you have blessed us with. Uh, Lord, they've used their gifts to serve this body and many in this room. And there are many treasures that they have up in heaven stored up because of their actions. But first and foremost, they're going to heaven because of their love and their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for them sharpening me as a, as a man, as a husband, as a father, and as a pastor. We thank you for this family. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You guys can go ahead and have a seat. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I, I mentioned a country song. I mentioned I started listening to country music in the last number of years, and, and uh, some of you guys came up to me and said, welcome to the promised land of music, right, which is nice, but this song, is, even though it's not a Christian song, it kind of sums up the, the human experience in life, at least in some level, and I'm going to read the lyrics and see if you guys agree. It says this, half your life you struggled, and half your life you fly, half your life you're making trouble, and half your life you're making it right. One day I'm the exception, but most day I'm like most. Some days I'm headed in the right direction, and some days I ain't even close. I'm a little bit steady, and still a little bit rolling stone. I'm a little bit heaven, and a little bit flesh and bone. I'm a little found, and a little don't know where I am. I'm a little bit holy water, but still a little bit burning man. Does that resonate with anyone in here? I know it resonates with me, and again, I don't think it's a perfect description of the Christian family because I know that we struggle with our flesh and our own desires and temptations, and then there's times where we do walk in our faith. And I don't believe that this is, again, the the, the crux of the human faith because we're more than 50-50. As we come to God, as God saves us, as His Spirit empowers us, and we get in the Word and community and Bible study and discipleship and worship and love and prayer, Lord, he, he grows us to be more and more like Christ. But the point is there's still a struggle. There's still a battle. Life is still messy living in a Genesis 3 world. It's a life between our flesh and our faith. And this is what have we not seen since Genesis chapter 12 and really since Genesis chapter 3 in the fall. We've seen God's covenant family battle from the flesh and faith. Uh, There were times where they walked in victory and followed the Lord and obeyed and had great victories. But There's also times where they walked in the flesh and, and reaped destruction. We've seen this with Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Rebecca and Jacob with Rachel and Leah. But in the midst of this battle between the flesh and faith, we see a constant thread. We see a foundational principle, and that's God's grace. God's grace weaving His story through these individuals' lives, through this imperfect family and this imperfect people. The Lord working His plan of redemption and grace and mercy. And this morning we come again to another contrast of man's sin and God's grace. The human experience, the, the culture, the world that the, the Jacob and his family experienced in Genesis 34 and 35 is very much like the culture we uh, experience today. And yet, when we 
walk by the flesh, God comes in and rushes in with the grace of God. Both are still alive and well today. So we can experience and understand Genesis 34 and Genesis 35 just like they did back thousands of years ago. So let's look at Genesis 34 first. The flesh of humanity. The flesh of humanity. What we're going to read about in Genesis 34 is is the continual downward spiral of sin in, in individuals' lives. The trajectory of the fall since Genesis chapter 3, it's been a, a fast and brutal fall. It, it kind of reminds me of when we went through the book of Judges. In fact, in Genesis 34, there's a lot of the same language that we see in the book of Judges, where it says in Judges that everyone did what was right in their own eyes. The whole book was about following the flesh and doing whatever you felt was right, that's what you did. God was not around in, in, in the majority of that chapter except behind the scenes with His grace. And in this chapter, we're, we're going to see, again, a lot like Judges. We're going to see rape. We're going to see lust. We're going to see passive parenting. We're going to see revenge. We're going to see genocide. Um, we're going to see greed. We're going to see deceit. And we're going to see no mention of the Lord God in chapter 34. His name is not mentioned, not once. In other words, we see humanity walking controlled by their own flesh, doing what is right in their own eyes, making their own decisions apart from the Word of God. But I want to caution us. Even though His name isn't mentioned in this tragic story, just like in the book of Judges, God is still in this place. God is still in their midst. One said this, Sometimes God's ways are behind the scenes but he moves all the scenes that he is behind. Sometimes God's ways are behind the scenes, but he moves all the scenes that he is behind. Doesn't that give you peace this morning? I'm saying, you know, as we go through this, there might be times in your life you're like, where is God? All this stuff is happening to me. Where is he? And he's there. He's moving the scenes, especially in something like this crazy and brutal events of 34 where men and women will commit atrocities, wickedness. As um, R.C. Sproul said, the invisible hand of the Lord is still controlling. He's still sovereign. He's still working and moving through this situation for the good of those who love Him. Even if it takes God a couple years later to, to bring that to light into our eyes. So, Genesis 34.1. Now Dinah, the daughter of Leah whom she had born to Jacob, went out to see the women of the land. And so we remember, if we did a couple weeks ago in Genesis chapter 33, that Jacob stopped his, his family in this pagan land of Canaan, a, a place called Shechem for a season. And he probably should have just, just wired the camel, spent the night, and then, and then kept on going to Bethel. But he, 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 he stayed there for a while. Dinah, his daughter, the, the daughter of the lazy-eyed Leah, if you guys remember her, his first wife's, heads out on the town by herself, and this should not have happened. She's a, a young teenage gal, and young teenage gals, in particular in pagan places, don't venture off into a foreign land in a foreign city. Well, she, being curious, ventures out. Then the unthinkable happens. The, the biggest nightmare that any parent could have. And no fault to Dinah whatsoever. It goes on and says, And when Shechem, the son of Hamer, the Hivite, the prince of the land, saw her, he seized her, he laid with her, and he humiliated her. To sum up, he sexually assaulted her. He brutally raped Dinah. Verse 3, And then his soul was drawn to Dinah, and the daughters of Jacob, 
He loved the young woman and spoke tenderly to her. So Shechem spoke to his father Hamar saying, get me this girl for my wife. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read this, I don't see love. I see a sick, sinful, lustful man. And I, I, I want to pause um, for a second because um, this is not love. Uh, love does not humiliate. Love does not seize. Love does not abuse. In particular, a man to a woman. And I, and I know there's some in this congregation, some ladies that this has happened to them. They've been sexually abused. They have been raped. Uh, there are some in here that have been um, abused verbally, emotionally. And just as it says here, this should not have happened. This ought not to be. And on that quote, if that has happened to you, man, my, my heart grieves for you. Uh, the, the, the heart of the crossing grieves for you. And, 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 and I want you to know that, that whatever has taken place, you are not alone. This body loves you, uh, wants to serve you, wants to care for you, mostly wants to listen to you. In particular, the ladies. Uh, we have great women here that want to come alongside you and love you and serve you and listen to you. And, then, and as for men, and then the men in here, uh, depending on whatever situation has happened or is happening, we want to uh, be that uh, stand in the gap uh, and, and protect you as well as we possibly can. But more importantly, we want you to know that Jesus loves you. That what happened was not your fault. And you can, he, can, he can take your pain and your suffering and bring about healing. He can take, as Joel said, he can take what the locusts have eaten away and restore it. And so I want, I want you to hear that this morning. If you are a, a woman among us that this has happened to, uh, we love you. Jesus loves you. And we're here for you. Verse 5. Now Jacob heard, Jacob the father of Dinah, heard that he defiled his daughter, but his sons were with livestock in the field. So Jacob held his peace until they came. When I read that, I didn't know what to do with that. Um, I mean, dads, think about that for a second. You heard your daughter just got raped. What are you going to do? Is this your reaction? I, I have no category for this. Because I would have probably called up my buddy Marco Telling and a couple other special forces buddy and made a nighttime visit to these guys, right? Any other dads with me in here? Yeah, exactly. Verse 6, And Hamar, the father of Shechem, went out to Jacob to speak with him. And the sons of Jacob had come in from the field as soon as they had heard it. And the men were indignant, very angry, because he had done an outrageous thing in Israel by lying with Jacob's daughter. For such a thing must not be done. This verse I can relate to. This verse, I said, thank you, sons, right? Thank you, boys. This is the right response. You're indignant. You're angry. You're teed off. You're outraged. Initially, this is what we call righteous anger. But we see that this righteous anger really turns south real quickly. In verses 8 through 11, Hamar and again, Shechem come and, and talk to Jacob and his sons. And notice that Hamar doesn't apologize. Doesn't ask for forgiveness. Doesn't even acknowledge what happens. He just goes right into striking a social economic deal with Jacob. Uh, Let us become one people by intermarrying our people. Then notice in verse 13, who speaks up? Is it Jacob? The father? 
No, he's passive in this thing. It's the sons. Look at verse 13. The sons of Jacob answered Shechem and his father Hamar deceitfully. I wonder where they learned that deceit. So they come up with this plan. He said, we can't give our sister to you. You would defile us because you guys aren't circumcised. Therefore, if this is to happen, if you want to marry our sister, you must and all you men must get circumcised or no deal. And then verses uh, 18 through 34, we see that the words pleased Hamar and his sons Shechem. And Hamar and Shechem go to the elders. They go to the front of the gates to talk to all the men. They go back home and say, hey, this is what we must do uh, to protect our, our, our people not going to war, but, but to become even more wealthy, to lead even to our prosperity. We must have this short, painful event. All the men from the youngest of the boys to all the men must get circumcised. And they all agree. And then in verse 25, here's where the story gets even darker. Look at verse 25. On the third day, when they were, the, when they were sore, that's the understatement of the day, right? Um, two of Jacob's sons, two of them, Simeon and Levi, Dinah's brothers, took their swords, came against the city while it felt secure and killed all the males. They killed Hamer and Shechem and it freed their sister. So apparently they still had their sister and they freed her sister. She was held captive. The rest of the sons will, will join in afterwards after Simeon and Levi killed every male. They come in and they plunder the city. And here's the, the, the deal. As wicked as rape was, their response was way, way overboard. It was wickedly. It was wicked. It was unholy vengeance. It was absolute genocide. Killing men and boys who had no idea probably what Shechem did. No responsibility whatsoever. They paid the price. This is not justice. This is unholy vengeance. The one that should have paid would have been Shechem and Shechem alone because he did the deed, but they took it out on everybody. Then finally, finally, we see this passive father, this passive leader, Jacob, say something. Look at verse 30 through 31. And what is his only concern? His only concern is his reputation and his legacy. He scolds the kids. He scolds his son. You have done this to me, to me, to me, to me, to me. That's his only worry. It says nothing about the concern of his daughter and what happened to her. Doesn't even get angry with Hamar or Shechem. But again, gets angry at his sons for upholding and protecting their sister with honor, even though it went way, way overboard. Reminds me of the song lyrics I just sang. Jacob is still a little bit burning man. A little bit flesh and bone. And for us, what can we glean out of this? What we can glean out of this is this is what happens sometimes when we walk in the flesh and not by faith. First, there's a, a section here. Of, we, we can sort of first learn about passive leadership, passive parenting, in particular as men. And we see Jacob not stepping up, protecting his own daughter, but then also not leading his son, just letting them go AWOL. And we'll leave that at that because we're going to contrast it in the next chapter in Genesis 35 where he actually does step up and lead and parents his family and kiddos. But second, we see this. We see righteous judgment gives way to unholy personal vengeance. I think we can all relate to this right here. 
Again, the, the sons, the brothers' first response was, was right, was correct, was, was righteous. They were very angry. They were outraged. They were indignant. But that led to, again, unholy vengeance. Later on in uh, Exodus chapter 21, Moses writing the law and kind of the, the social norms of how the Jewish people are supposed to respond in society to one another talks about a, a law of rep, uh, a rep, uh, retribution. Excuse me. Uh, when someone commits a crime, how that should be played out. Um, it's a law known as the Lex Telenos. It's, it's, it's a law that you know as an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And some people outside of the faith will say, look at, well, look at that. This God of the Old Testament is just a vengeful God. He's just an angry God. He just wants to strike everyone down. Look at this law in Exodus chapter 21, an eye for an eye, a life for a life, a tooth for a tooth. But in particular, but really what that law is there for is the exact opposite. The law there is to exact justice for the, for the, the crime committed. In other words, this law was put in place to limit vengeance and justice. Because isn't it our human nature when someone harms us that we want to kill them, right? Human nature uh, takes more than what is owed, just like in Genesis chapter 34. Just like in Genesis chapter 34. That if you take out one of my eyes, I'm going to take out two of yours. And probably try, try to cut off both your arms and both your legs, right? Uh, I'm going to go John Wick on you, right? You kill my dog, I'm going to kill your whole family. How, how many of us have been there and done that? Someone has wronged us, and then we want to go out and exact punishment, the punishment that exceeds what they have done to us. So this is what this part of this law is, is, is to make sure that the punishment fits the crime because human nature again says, if you hurt me, I want to destroy you. That's why in the Old Testament and also in the New Testament, it says this, that vengeance is mine, says the Lord. That, that we are to leave, leave God as the one who is in control of justice and vengeance because all of us have the tendency to go beyond what is just. Like I said, even reading this, if this happened to one of my families, first I'd have to, have to hold back my wife because she'd want to go kill somebody. And then I would probably go do something above and beyond that I thought would be just. And it wouldn't make things better, but probably make things a lot worse. So what we can learn here is that, that, that vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. The Lord's judgments are perfect and perfectly just and right. The other thing we can learn here, thirdly, is that we can learn about God's grace. And like, how can we learn about God's grace? Well, for that, we got to look forward to Genesis 49 and then also Genesis chapter, I'm sorry, Joshua 13. You see, in Genesis 49, we'll get there in the fall, Jacob is passing on his blessings to his sons, and he gets to Simeon and he gets to Levi, and he takes away their blessing. So you guys, aren't, I'm not going to leave you any blessing. I'm not going to leave you any land. You're going to be sojourners because of your murderous ways, because of what you did back here in Genesis chapter 34. You're not going to receive any land, which would have been a huge part of the blessing, but be scattered in Israel. And then we go to Joshua chapter 13, where the Lord says, where the Lord says that you will be, that your inheritance will be me, the Lord. And we see that the Lord bestows grace on the tribe of Levi. Because how? He takes one of the most brutal tribes in Israel 
and he makes them into the kingdom of priests. Levi, as we know, would be the tribe that would lead the nation of Israel spiritually and morally. Think about that for a second. He takes this murderous tribe, in particular Levi, and he makes his family the ones that would speak on behalf of God. How does that happen? He takes sinners and makes them into a royal priesthood. Does that sound familiar to anyone in here? This is exactly what Peter says he does for you and for me. And in first Peter chapter one, he says that we are all saved by God's grace, sinners that are saved by God's grace. And then in chapter two, what does he call us? A royal priesthood, a holy nation, a covenant people. This is only possible because of the grace of God. He bestows grace and salvation on the tribe of Levi, and he's still doing that today to you and to me. In Hebrews chapter 13 says that God, Jesus is the same yesterday, today and forever. And just as he bestowed grace on a sinner like Jacob thousands of years ago, he shows grace to sinners like you and me on a daily basis. God's grace is the same in Jacob's day and is the same in our day. So that's Genesis chapter 34. Now let's look at Genesis chapter 35. We see the faith of humanity. The faith of humanity. In Genesis 35.1, God said to Jacob, Arise and go to Bethel and dwell in the land there. Make an altar to God who appeared to you and you will, that you, when you fled from your brother Esau. What's the first word in verse 1? What's the first word in verse 1? Go ahead and say it. God. In chapter 34, God's name wasn't mentioned at all. In chapter 35, God's name is mentioned, at least I count, 11 times. Not only 11 times by God, but if you look at the the names in the the towns that some of the people go through, like Bethel, where it says, I think it's in verse 7, El Bethel, um, God of the house of God. It's named almost over 20 plus times. So the focus on chapter 35 is God at the forefront. And we see Jacob, by faith, follow him. Repent and follow him. In verse 2, we see, we see what brings Jacob back. It was the voice of God. And, and I'm sorry, in chapter 1, it is the voice of God. God said to Jacob. God speaks to Jacob. And when God speaks to Jacob, it does something to his heart. It it recalibrates Jacob's life, Jacob's mind. It recalibrates Jacob's role as a leader, as a father, as a husband. He goes and and makes an altar. He goes on to Bethel to to make an altar, but he goes even beyond that. Look at verse 2. So Jacob said to his household and all who were with him, Put away your foreign gods that are among you. Purify yourselves and change your garments. Then let us arise and go to Bethel so that I may make an altar there to God who answers me in my day of distress and has been with me wherever I have gone. And what we see here is is Jacob respond by faith because of God's words. We see sanctification. We see growth. And that's what sanctification is. It's the process of growth and becoming more and more like God. It begins with repentance. Put away your idols. That's repentance. Put away your idols. And then all of a sudden we see response from the repentance, and that's engagement. 
And here we see that engagement looks directly like leading a family as a father, as a mother. He starts to lead and parents his own family because evidently they haven't been doing, he hasn't been doing this. He's been passive. Uh, we can see by their actions, they've had been worshiping foreign gods. They've brought every land that they have sojourned to, uh, they have brought these foreign gods, these foreign religions with them and, and, and melded them, tried to meld them with Yahweh and the worship of Yahweh. They're not walking in holiness. He says, go purify themselves. And we see that they're picking up habits from the culture around them to their clothes and to what they, the earrings, the kinds of rings they have in their, in their ears, etc. So when God steps in and speaks to Jacob, it grabs Jacob's attention and he recalibrates his heart towards God, not by walking in the flesh, but by walking in the Spirit. And again, how does this come about? It comes about by the Word of God. And what a great reminder for us this morning, is that not? As parents, as as fathers, as mothers, as leaders, it's this, this is the point. Our ability to lead and influence is directly impacted by the voice of God. And the voice of God has made Himself known to us in His Word, by His Scriptures. And if we want to be great fathers, if we want to be great mothers, if we want to be great leaders, it begins by the Word of God dominating our lives. I think it was Spurgeon that said, when when we get cut, we should bleed Bible. Now, for, for the parents in here, we, we, we know that there's no such thing as perfect parents. We see Jacob has been passive in much of his narrative. We have all failed. We have all failed at some level. And isn't it good to know that from the Word of God, there is grace, there is forgiveness, there is second chances. Not only second chances, there's Third chances, and fourth chances, and fiftieth chances, and a hundred chances, and ten thousand chances. And not only just in, as parents, but in the Christian walk, what, all the way. The grace of God, because we understand the gospel, because we understand that the reason why we're saved, the reason why our identity is, is who we are in Christ is because what Christ has done for us, not what we can do for Christ. It's just, just bring us encouragement this morning if we're parents. And second, that's general, but second, I want to get down to the, to the nitty gritty of, of parenting. Cause some parents recently haven't been, have been, I should say, have been walking in the shoes of Jacob and have been passively parenting their kids. And the good news for you again is that, gee, because of Jesus' gospel, because we know his word, his word informs us that he doesn't see you as a failure, but he sees one as he is progressing along in this walk. And so walk in the shoes of Jacob. If this is, if you, you've been stepped back, you haven't been hands on, you haven't been leading your family or your kids and repent. First and foremost to the Lord, but then go to your children and repent to your children. And say, I want to lead you as Christ leads his church. I want to be faithful to the truth of God's word. Now that we have a handful of parents that are older, but I also want to say you younger parents, this begins at an early stage. This begins with day one when that child leaves the womb. Don't think that, oh, my child are too young to be influenced by our culture. I got time. No, you don't. You don't have time because the culture isn't waiting. The culture and the worldview out there is preaching 24 hours a day, 365 days of year. 
I mean, you just look at our culture in the past 10 years, I think it's slid farther than the past 100 years. It is moving further and further away from God and His Word. And so start engaging now with your children, with the Gospel, with God's Word, and the importance of coming together in church and the community. Because one day you might wake up and you're not going to like who your kids are hanging out with, what kind of clothes they're wearing, what kind of music they're listening to, who, what kind of uh, activities they're involved in. The reason why is because the ones that have been parenting them has been the world. So start engaging your children now. I heard a great illustration regarding this point this past week. It was it, it, the tragic of the USS Thresher submarine that in 1963 dove to a depth that it wasn't meant to dive to. And this massive, this metal, this impenetrable sub that dove exploded because of the pressure of the water at the depth that it was at. It couldn't handle it. It couldn't handle the external pressure coming along. So, so internally, it exploded. But here's the crazy thing is that there are fish that live at that depth, and they're perfectly okay. They, they do what fish do, whatever fish do, right? Eat, swim, and poop, I guess. That's what fish do, right? But, they, but, but, they're, but they're fine. So how can this massive metal sub explode because of the pressure, but these fish not explode? Well, because they're pressurized fish. What's on the inside counteracts the pressures of the outside. And this is great for us as an illustration. You see, if our children don't understand the gospel, if our children don't know Jesus, if they're not growing up in a solid environment that is pressured, is monitored by us as parents, again, Jesus, the gospel, church community, then the peer pressure on the outside will cause them to implode. So this is a great reminder of us. We see Jacob step up, and by faith, he starts to lead, guide, and direct his family. And notice the family's response, verse 4. Children, teenagers, listen to their response in verse 4. What do they do? They obey. I'm going to read it. <laughs> so they gave Jacob all the foreign gods that they had and the rings that were in their ears, and Jacob hid them. They obeyed. There was no fight. There was no, oh, mom and dad, you guys just don't know. Oh, mom and dad, you know, you're, you're being no fun. No, they obey. Why? Because they've experienced Genesis 34. They've just experienced the dysfunction and the unfulfillment of living in the ways of the world and the culture around them. And now dad is, is, is leading them and bringing them back to where love is, where joy is, where peace is. And it's through the guidance of God's word. That's where success is. So children, when your parents come to you maybe today and say, hey man, this is where I failed, repent, I want to lead you in this way, here's some things I see, then, then lead and obey because they're doing that because they love you. And they want to see, see you succeed and grow. Verse 10, we see God speak again. And God said to him, your name is Jacob, but you will no longer be called Jacob, your name will be Israel. So he named him Israel. And you might pause like, wait a second, haven't we already got to this place? Haven't we done this before already? Hasn't God already changed his name? Yeah, he did in Genesis chapter 32. As you guys remember, when Jacob wrestled with the angel, that's when he changed. But that's the point. Uh, Jacob forgot. He had to be reminded of who he was, his 
new self, his new mission. And therefore, the Lord takes Jacob back even further to the beginning, to the purposes of humanity, takes him all the way back to Adam, where he says, I am God Almighty, be fruitful and multiply. Takes him all the way back to the, to Noah and the second recreation. I am God Almighty, be fruitful and multiply. Subdue the land and produce image bearers. Produce image bearers. Those that, 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 that follow my word. Because it will be then that this world will be at peace and there will be love and there will be joy and there will be success. He's reminding him. Verses 11 through 15, he gets even more specific with Jacob. God, continues to remind and reaffirm the promises that he made to his grandfather Abraham, his father Isaac, that he chose Jacob. Jacob is the one that's going to carry the mantle of the next generation and the generations to come. That he was going to make Jacob a great nation with a, with a place, with some land, and all the people were going to be blessed. See, the Lord is reminding Jacob of the plans that he had since the beginning to bless this world, to bless this earth. To kind of sum it all up for us, uh, the way forward is to remember where you came from, or as one pointed, the way forward is to go backwards. The way forward is to go back. And isn't this good news for you and me? I mean, do, don't we also need to be reminded again and again that we are no longer controlled by our own flesh, but we can walk by faith? That God has saved us to a new mission and for a new purpose. We have to be reminded of our new status in Christ. And we see this over and over again in the New Testament. We see Paul does it in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 where he says, Hey, if anyone is a new, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation, right? The old has passed. Therefore, go and be what? My ambassadors. In Galatians, we see the same thing in Galatians, in the church of Galatia. He says in 2.20, he says, I know that I've been crucified with Christ. But it's no longer who I live, but it's Christ who lives within me. The, the old flesh has gone. And the life I live now, I live in what? By faith in Christ. Then it goes to Galatians 5. Then therefore, since this is true, to walk by the what? The Spirit. And not by the flesh. So the way forward is to look back. And that's the same for us. We need to be reminded each and every day of the goodness of the foundations of the Gospel because we can stray so easily. So what does that look like today? There's a number of things that we could talk about, but just let me give you two ways quickly. Two primary ways where God calls us to remember is through the Scriptures and through His sacraments. Through the Scriptures and through His sacraments. This is why we gather every Sunday. This is why it's so important of the Sunday gathering. It's not the only thing, but it's why it's so important that if you can make it to church on Sunday, you make it. Because here is where the Scriptures are proclaimed. Here's where the Scriptures are sung. Here's where the Scriptures are prayed through. Uh, this, is, this is my job, and so I get to interact with the Scriptures every day, but there was a time where this wasn't my job, and I understand the temptation of just coming on Sunday and then putting this book away and then just going Monday through Saturday doing what Aaron does. So I know there's, there's many of you in here, the only time you hear the Scriptures read is when you come on Sunday. And, and that's, 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 that's good, right? You're, you're being faithful here. But that's why then we look at life group. That's why that's so important. Those are our midweek small groups where we get together. That's why our, our journey groups, our discipleship groups, where we meet in smaller groups of, of men and women in particular to, to, to proclaim God's scriptures to one another. 
and the power of the Spirit. Why? Because it's the Scriptures that remind us of the goodness of God. It's the Scriptures that remind us of the glorious works of the Lord God and the salvation that has been accomplished through Jesus. So our identity is. It's not in the identity of what Scripture or what the culture tells us who we are, but what Christ says we are. And then we get together with one another, encourage one another with the Scripture so we can fight the good fight of faith. And when we are walking in the flesh, we have, we have people that love us and call us to repentance. So one way that God reminds us is through the Scriptures. The second is through the sacraments. That's, that's why we take communion every single week here. Because we need the, the physical, tangible things that we can touch and feel that remind us of the spiritual and the physical realities of what Christ has done for us on the cross. Some of us are visual people. Some of us can read and that, that gets us, but some of us are more visual. And that's why God has given us these visual, tangible things about the bread representing His body and the, and the wine, the juice, and the fruit representing His blood. The forgiveness of sin. That was the Lord's sacrifice on our behalf. A sacrifice that we, we, were, we were called to pay, make payment, but we couldn't do it. So He took it for us. He took the judgment that we deserve so we would never have to. Reminds us of the gospel. It reminds us then that when we do fall, when we do walk in the flesh, that God is not angry with us, but actually He's pleased with us because we are in Christ. And that because Jesus, and because of that, the pressure is off for us to perform. The pressure is off for us to, to do makeup tests or makeup for our failures. See, God loves the world and He gave up His Son. And there's more of those people in the world that need to be invited to the banquet table. And so He uses us. So those are two primary ways, not the only. There's just two ways in which God calls us to remember Him through His Scripture, through His Word, through us proclaiming it to one another, and then through taking the sacraments. And that's why I'm pumped to, to go to through the summer on the Mount, the Sermon on the Mount. Um, because we're going to hear about God's kingdom principles. We're going to hear about what it looks like, as Daniel referred to, what it looks like to be a follower of Christ and a, a, a one-on mission for Christ. I'm going to personally in my time off and I'm thankful for the, for the time off is this is where my heart's going to be these next three months. I'm going to be in the Scriptures. I'm going to get back to the beginning. For, for me, for my family, uh, for this church to move forward, I'm going to spend my time looking backwards, looking at the goodness of God through the Gospel. So you guys, please pray for me in that. And know this, that I'm going to be praying for you in that as well. So this is Genesis 34 and 35. Um, we see that a couple people dying. There's some obscure passages. And, and chapter 36 is just about Esau. And we're actually going to touch base with that in the future when we come back to this in the fall. But know this, that when we walk in the flesh... That God loves you. If you're in Christ, He covers you with His grace. He's given us His Spirit. He's given us His Word so that we can now walk by faith. Let's pray. Father, thank You for these two chapters. Again, another stark contrast of, of our failure to follow You in our own flesh, but Your grace to bring us back in the fold and to be able to walk by faith. Lord, I pray that this is for everyone in here. 
that we see that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And when we see the dysfunction in the covenant family's lives, and we can relate to that because our own dysfunction is just like theirs. But more importantly, we see the grace of God that undergirds us. We see the goodness of the gospel that saves us. We see that your spirit that empowers us. And it's ultimately all comes through your word that informs us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.